Good morning, VCF. I'm very glad to be with you again uh, today. Uh, I'd like to, te- to, to um, share with you a word that is basically in two passages of Scripture. It's Numbers chapter 13, if you can turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Um, and then we'll go to Joshua chapter 14. They are both two incidents that are separated by 45 years of wilderness wandering. We're still in the wilderness right now. We haven't gone into the promised land yet because the wilderness is a rich place for us. Uh, But there's something for us here. In Numbers chapter 13, uh, Moses had sent the spies out to uh, spy the land, the promised land, Canaan. And they had come back. Twelve were chosen, one representative from each tribe, very, very democratic, and uh, they uh, went out and uh, they brought back the report. And as many of you know, uh, 12 men went to spy out Canaan. 10, were, 10 gave a good report, a bad report, and uh, 2 gave a good report. And we are going to join this passage in verse 25. Verse 25, I'm reading from the ESV. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, big however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Notice the powerful words that they use. They devour the inhabitants. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. We seem like ourselves to be grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. Notice how powerful words can be. The the, the devouring, the, the grasshoppers. These images actually are words that can actually create their own meta reality or their own little reality. Um, And then let's go back. Uh, go across a span of 45 years and uh, to Joshua chapter 14. Um, As a result of this, many of you know that God judged the people of Israel and says you will never go into the children, the, the, the promised land until all of you die, only your children will enter in. And so for 45 years, Caleb and Joshua, who had given a good report, had to wait. They had to wait in the wilderness 45 years. And I'd like to talk about that because, you know, if I were, were Caleb and Joshua and having on account to, of this bad report, 
to wait another 45 years in the wilderness, I'd be actually really salty by the time I come to Joshua chapter 14. And, uh, and I, have to, I have to ask the question, is it really fair for me to have to actually wait? Because everybody who was discouraging, who was disobedient, uh, had made the, 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 the rest of the children of Israel like grasshoppers. Well, let's have a look at this then. Uh, we are now in Joshua chapter 14. The whole generation of those spies and, uh, that, and, and the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, who had come out of Egypt had died. Only the second generation were left and Joshua and Caleb because God had spoken to them that because they had followed the Lord wholly with their own hearts and they had an excellent spirit, they would not fail to experience the promised land. Um, and here we are, Joshua chapter 14. Joshua is dividing out the land uh, be, between the, this next generation and there's a, it's a reunion of sorts. It's been 45 years and so up comes this 85-year-old man. Strong, sprightly, full of life. His eyes are shining like, like fire. And he comes to Joshua and Joshua recognizes him. Verse 6, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me? Joshua says, Yeah, I remember it really well. I'll never forget that. Verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Notice that. As it, I brought him word, not just as, as I saw it, but also as it was in my heart. The word that I got, I brought, reflected what was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord, my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And, and as Joshua says that, the words that were said 45 years ago began to be burnished and began to come on fire again for Caleb. It was just as if nothing had been lost. In that 45 years, the time had just passed. And here was Caleb, full of life, full of fire, full of strength, just the same. And Moses swore on that day, verse 9, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Or another word for that is quicken me. He has quickened me. Yeah, He has quickened me. Just as he had said, these 45 years since that time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. What he's basically saying in verse 11 is this. It is as if I have not lost anything. I have reversed the aging process. And in reversing that aging process, I am now as strong. The ravages of time have not taken anything away from me. Yeah, Amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? I, I find that very, very inspiring. 
So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron becomes became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Abba. Abba was the greatest man among the Anakim, one of the giants, and the land had rest from war. Let us pray. We ask God to speak to us. Lord, we thank you that we can read something so wondrous in this word. So wondrous that we can hardly believe it except with the Holy Spirit. So we ask you that by your Spirit, you will reveal your word to us, what you have for us, so that our imagination can rise to the reality that is far beyond human reality. We ask you that you cut us loose from um, the things that tie us to human mortality and human, the normal way humans behave and think, and take us into heaven right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the great things that uh, I, my family like to do is to actually have a, a, a Zoom call with my mom, who's now coming up to 88. And uh, so all our children, uh, her children, are in, in a different country. We have, she had four children, my mom and dad had four children. We are in the U.S., of course. My sister and her family are in Australia, in Brisbane. Uh, she's living with my youngest brother and their, their family in KL. And uh, my, young, my, my, my second brother is in Singapore. And one of the things that we always look forward to is to getting together with Amma, which is uh, my, grandma, my, my, my mother. And one of the things that I notice is that my children always look forward to that. My children consider my mom, who's 88, the coolest, the most energetic, the most uh, wise person um, that they know. They have never, as far as I know, never spoken a word of criticism about, upon her. It's almost unreal, the way in which they revere her and enjoy her. And one of the things that they're constantly saying is that they miss uh, my mom, who's 88. Now, you have to understand that my mom, at 88, has lost most of her short-term memory. Um, she will ask the same question every minute or so, and we will answer her, and my brother is very, very patient with her, uh, answering her as if that was the first time he heard that question. And so she has uh, uh, lost so much of her memory, and you know, I'm told by uh, um, uh, neurologists that at this age and in this particular condition, when you've lost your memory, um, you actually, whatever is deep-seated in your soul will come out unfiltered. It'll come from, if you're a person who has experienced a lot of bitterness, you become a very bitter person, and that bitterness is unfiltered. If you are a person who has uh, had joy or who has resolved a lot of these things, these things will come out unfiltered as well. And I, my family is very, very uh, all, um, uh, always intrigued by the fact that when my mom, in her forgetfulness and her, her just inability to, to kind of grasp hold of a lot of things, and what comes out of her is just laughing, uh, joy, 
and saying the same thing again. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. I remember one time when, when uh, uh, Cindy and I, were, we did not in- have insurance and uh, we were going to have Kaylin and I, I, I was ringing my parents up and I was saying, you know, we don't have insurance. What? Please pray for us. He says, you've got to live by faith. <laughs> I rebuked by my own mother. And uh, so today she is 88 years old, 88 years old, full of the joy of the Lord, and it just comes out of the ears. It comes out of every, of every, every orifice of us. Always thinking about how great God is. Always thankful and all that. I want to be, if I live to 88, just like that. That's my goal. My goal is to be as cool as my mom. This is not coolness that is put on or trying or, or, or contrived. It is something that has been, uh, she's been reduced to coolness. <laughs> Age has made her cool. She's got nothing else except cool. And um, this is something that I think is, uh, is amazing. Now, this is uh, something that perhaps addresses uh, an issue that I have with Joshua chapter 14. And that is that Caleb is now 85 years old. And he suffered the ravages of his own people's unbelief. And he has had to live in the wilderness, rearing sheep and, and animals, and not enter into the promised land for these 45 years. Not 40 years, but 45 years. He's now 85. And you have to ask the question, is it fair? Is it fair? I mean, is it fair that he, who has, he and Joshua have to live like that for this way? And I've got to tell you, that this is something that I'm sure a lot of us wonder about. How did Caleb live these 45 years in such a way that he was being quickened? Yeah? He's, he was getting younger, actually. The, 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 the entropy that was going this direction was being met by God's supernatural power that was quickening him. He says, God has made me alive or quickened me. So much so that what he was experiencing in the wilderness was no loss. Actually, by the time he had reached 85, he was just as strong as he was at 40, at 40 years old. So it's very intriguing to think about what his life was like. He must have been having quite a supernatural life for 45 years to such an extent that he had now age, he had wisdom, he had all these experience, he had this peace that older people tend to have, and yet he had the strength at, at the same time. I want to know this. I want to know what, what was it. How is it for Caleb to have to live through an environment, a social environment, where everybody is a grasshopper. Everybody is a whinger, a, a, a complainer, a person who's constantly dragging you down, constantly discouraging you, and constantly giving you visions of negativity, of, uh, of, of, uh, of doom, of, of unfairness, of all these things. How did he live in such a way that he, he had to f- face at least two big issues? One, he's surrounded by a majority report that is terrible. And he's surrounded by people who actually had the judgment of God upon them because they were so rebellious and they were so negative. How was he to raise up his children in an environment in which he was, they were surrounded by this kind of stuff? 
The second thing is, how was he to keep himself alive? Not only keep himself alive, to keep himself living in joy, in satisfaction and fulfillment for 45 years, not entering into the promised land. I would put it to you that, that there was something that God had for him in the wilderness that was perhaps even greater than the promised land. Even greater than the land uh, flowing with milk and honey. That they were experiencing an inner reality, Joshua and, and, and Caleb, that was far surpassing the material blessings of the promised land. It has to be. It has to be. Because the, as Caleb comes to Joshua, you can see he's like a tiger ready to pounce. In fact, he was so filled with that, that he would not let his daughter marry anyone except a person who was willing to fight the Anakim, defeat him, and uh, defeat them, and, uh, and, and, and take the land. He would not let his daughter marry anyone less than that. Woo! Hallelujah. Wow! He must have... He must have raised up a family who was so strong and who were, were able to stand and actually get stronger or get younger or get, get, uh, get more confident in the midst of uh, people who are completely naysayers, naysayers, every day whinging naysayers throughout the whole time. And I don't believe it's just because of the fact he had that gene or that he had that particular kind of a natural ability, I feel that there was something that was causing him to be quickened every day in the promised land. So how was he able to reverse the ravages of time and the sheer wastage on account of the discouragers? How was he able to do that? How was it, what was it like for him during these 45 years? I mean, there's not that much that's said, but enough is said to give us perhaps some keys. I wonder whether there, was, there are some of us who uh, can identify with that. You're feeling, perhaps, the discouragement of your environment. You're feeling that you don't fit in. That most people around you are bitter, negative, or not conducive for um, faith. Maybe you are feeling that somehow you are surrounded by people who are even opposed to you, opposed to you, or that the, the um, conventional wisdom around you is so damning, is so discouraging, that you can't fit in. Or perhaps time has gone by very quickly for you, and you are thinking, what am I going to do with that time that I've lost? I myself am 63 years old. In the early days of, my, 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 of, of ministry, when I first went into full-time ministry, in a very short amount of time, the Lord, well, by His grace, allowed me to see so many things happen. And uh, within the, the, the first uh, 15 to 17 years, I, was, I had planted six churches by myself without any partners. And actually seen so many miracles. I, I, I remember coming for a, a, a conference in America with people who are much older than me, and they would tell me, you have seen in your young life more than most of us in a lifetime have seen in terms of God's miracles and, and how God could actually use you. I cannot imagine what it's going to be like for you when you reach the age of 40. Well, I'm now 63. 
<laughs> I came to America, and it seems as if, especially in the first 14 years of life in America, it was hard going like I'd never known hard going. I felt so much, I have experienced so much discouragement that there was a time in which I felt my life was completely wasted. I experienced so much opposition, so much unbelief that even doing little things was so difficult to do. And I remember in 2007 thinking, this was such a waste of time. In one of my weaker moments, my more discouraged moments, I know what it is to, to, to come to that place in which you feel this is such a waste of time. Of course, that was not the God's, God's thought. That was my own thought. Uh, and it was instigated by a certain, a certain prevailing mood of discouragement and negativity. And it was then that I began to turn to God in a different way. And I feel that what we have to talk about today has a lot to do with this phenomenon in which God has called us sometimes in the wilderness. In the wilderness in which you are not actually surrounded by an atmosphere of faith, but you are surrounded by an atmosphere of people who are dissonant with you in a negative way. And... Uh, and so much of it has to do with the heart. What's the heart? Um, in uh, Joshua chapter 14, he says, I brought him word to Moses as it was in my heart. And the, 12, the ten, 10 other spies gave word as well as it was in their heart. And the word that they gave caused the people's hearts to melt. Yeah? And so there's something about the way in which we perceive things that is not just an objective, fair view of things, and always be careful of that, but it is colored by what's in our heart. How we see things and how we perceive things and how we infer things has a lot to do with what's the content of our heart right now. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I want to put it to you that there are some times when we are invited and, and surrounded by what you call a majority report. The majority report is usually corrosive. If you see the majority of people thinking a certain way, there is a good chance that they are actually thinking in a corrosive way. And it will make the hearts of the people tend away from faith because faith is too offensive. It's too radical and it's too challenging. It's challenging, it's so challenging that people would rather have a more comfortable perception of things in their heart. And so what the, 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 the other 10 spies, the majority report, gave was this. Look, we can do safe. We can't go into the promised land. It's okay because our analysis shows that those giants are stronger than us and we can't do it. Yes, the grapes are great. Yes, we've been to the valley of Eskol, the valley of great grapes. And, uh, and yes, we've seen all that, but we can't do it because they are stronger than us. But what they didn't realize is this, that what they were speaking was not actually objective. It was speaking in such a way that they were speaking as grasshoppers. It was the grasshopper in them 
that was speaking. And what happens is this, when you have that kind of uh, uh, spirit inside you, people will treat you like a grasshopper. If you are timid and if you are inferior and you, you don't have a good sense, good hold of God's, God's identity in you, you will actually see yourself in relation to others. And so what's happening is, is that these 12 spies, don't forget, these spies are more or less elites, elite forces in the children of Israel, the best guys around. Okay, they're the best guys compared with the other Israelites. Okay, compared with the other guys, they are the elite. So these elite are going into the promised land, and when they compare themselves with the elite under there, or the, even the normal people over there, who are the Anakims, who are, who are giants, they don't compare that well. They compare well with the, with the, with their own people in the, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? They, they, well, they compare well with the, with the other Israelites, but not with the, People out there. Now, most of us think that way. We live in a, in a comparison, uh, a, a system of comparison in which we compare flesh with flesh. And what was happening is that as a result of that, their, their strength, all the best strength that they had, collapsed. Collapsed. Against reality. Against reality. And so they brought the report as it was in their heart. And it is as if, when it all boils down, how God dealt with the children of Israel had to do with the condition of their heart. Because of Joshua and Caleb had an excellent spirit, and that's the word lebav, same word as heart, same word, the imagination of the heart, the inward mind, because they had an excellent spirit, they got the land. It all happened in the shape of their heart and how their heart was responding to other hearts and other situations. Yeah. And so that's, that's, a, that's totally a, a, an important thing. I realized as a, as a minister that when I'm thrust into situations of great um, difficulty or great challenge, I, the condition of my heart is very, very crucial. Very, very crucial. Um, not that long ago, um, I received a phone call from Army in Boston saying that her father had just had um, a rupture uh, um, of a blood vessel in his brain and he was quickly um, sinking. And they were rushed, he was rushed to hospital. And there was a, they had a dilemma and the dilemma was that if they would operate, he could die. And the chances of his dying were very, very high. And so you are stuck. If you leave it alone, um, he would be either a probably a vegetable or he could also die. And so they had contacted me and they had contacted Sanjeev and, and, and both of us concurred that they should go for the operation. But the operation could kill him. Yeah? And so... I said, would you like me to um, go, and go there and pray for him? He was in Oxnard, so um, a bit of a distance, about two hours, I think. Um, I, I, and they said, yes, that would be really great. And so for that night, they had decided that he would do the operation, the operation that could actually kill him. And they said that we will know by tomorrow morning and we'll wait for the doctor to make his rounds to see how it's doing. So there was a lot of 
of, 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 of angst and a lot of trepidation and anxiety and a lot of praying as well on behalf of, uh, on the part of Army and Tim, I'm sure, and the family. So I woke up at about 4.30 in the morning and I was going to drive down to Oxnard. And I knew that in this environment, the kind of spiritual atmosphere was so heavy, so dark and so despondent that I, in my own kind of raw condition of heart, did not have it, the faith, to believe for him, for him. And I was wondering how I should prepare the family. Should I prepare him for death so that he can go graciously? Or should I go for it in terms of praying for healing? And the Lord, as I got into the car, 4.30, 4.45 in the morning, arrested me. And he said, you don't know what it is. And don't take any particular conclusion at face value. You pray. And so I just prayed. I prayed in the Spirit from 4, 4.30. Of course, I'd been praying in the night before as well. And I prayed all the way to, to, to Oxnard in the car. And something of a conviction began to settle in me. I knew I'm supposed to pray not for death, but to pray for healing. I arrived there around 7, 7. Um, and I met uh, members of the family and they were weeping and crying because the doctor had just made his rounds at about 6, 6 o'clock and had told them that there's, it's not looking good and that he's not responding at all. And so um, there was so many tears that were there. And my heart broke for, for them, but I had settled in my heart, something in my heart change. I delivered word to them as it was in my heart. And I said, let's pray because I believe that God is going to raise him up. And we prayed. And we started praying from 7, 7.45 and we prayed all the way to 11.30. We just said, we're going to sit down there. We're going to stand, or not sit down there, but stand around his bed. And he was completely out and not responsive at all. No, no response even in his eyes. And apparently the eyes, kind of fluttering in the eyes was something that they were looking for. None, none of that was happening. And so we prayed. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, all I knew was that we're going to pray until he gets, gets raised up. And there was something in my heart that had changed in that drive down. I want to tell you that actually... You and I have the Holy Spirit. And before you decide on what course of action to take or what is going to, be, going to happen, you've got to know in your heart what the Holy Spirit is saying. Until you do, you are not in a position to say anything. And you should actually shut up. And so I, we prayed and we prayed and prayed and prayed. We prayed until we had no more words left to say. So we prayed in the Spirit. I prayed in the Spirit. I prayed in the Spirit again and again and again and again and again. At about 11.30, I went down to have my lunch. 
And when I went down, I got a call from Tim. I, I think it was Tim, yes, in, in Boston. And he said, his eyes are fluttering. Things are, things, he's beginning to move. I rushed up there and we continued to pray. And today, he is completely well. Completely well. Now, I tell you, we can be of the majority report, like the 10, or of the minority report. And today I'd like to talk about the minority report because the minority report is going to take you through the wilderness. My minority report will change the outcome of what's going to happen. And I fear that even the Christian world, we are so up in our heads, up in our aesthetics about things, that there is no power of God. In, in, in. We have nice stuff right now. We've got nice stuff. Church is nice here. It's com- nice compared with Pakistan or, or so many of the other third world countries. But, but we, 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 we sometimes lack that thing in the heart. The report, the minority report in the heart. The minority report is not something you can just jump on. Minority report, the the witness of the spirit of faith cannot just come just because it said, I'm not going to be negative, I'm going to be positive. No, that's not the same. You can't jump to the conclusion. It has to be given to you. It has to be birthed in you. It has to be put in you. And that is something that God wants to do. He wants to put the process in which the minority report is given to you. You can't take a minority report. You cannot take a position in which we're going to believe God for that because many people do that and then, and then things don't happen because they've not received it from God. They've not gone through the process in which they're listening to God and God actually comes and speaks to them about it. You can't substitute believing the, all the right things for going through the whole process of being in contact with God and waiting upon Him until He just drops it in our heart. And what was happening with, with, with Caleb and Joshua was that they had received the report, the minority report, the minority report from the other side. And I want to put it to you that this is something that God wants to do in us. I would hazard to say that if we ask the question um, of Caleb, what did you do in the wilderness? There are a few things that he could say that are very quite, sim- quite really quite simple. He says, I wholly followed the Lord. I wholly followed the Lord. That is a in some ways, that could be the title of our, our, our little message here. That I wholly follow the Lord. Sometimes we think about following the Lord in all kinds of ways. But may I suggest to you that following the Lord sometimes means unfollowing. Unfollowing. I do that all the time. I unfollow people in Facebook. Just recently, I... I, I uh, cancel my Facebook account. I unfollowed Facebook. I'm not telling you to do that. No, that's not not what I'm trying to say. But there are some times in which if you want to follow something really closely, you have to unfollow other things because those those things, good even though they may be, will prevent you from having the kind of focus the kind of intense following and uh, tracking that is needed to track something that is very elusive. 
that is beyond our own human capacity to be able to, uh, to, to, to catch a hold of. It's just the nature of the case. It's just the nature of the case. Our minds are from below. And Christ's mind is from above. He has given us the mind of Christ. So that gives us a little bit of a pathway, of a bridge to him. But we cannot take it in a facile way. You cannot take it for granted. It requires sometimes to follow the Lord, to unfollow things, the majority of your opinion. You have to unfollow the distractions. You have to unfollow your own particular um, uh, proclivity to want to think positive even. And you have to actually come to the Lord and say, well, I like all this positive stuff, but I know that when you drop that positive word in me, it will displace everything else and it will be more powerful than anything else. And so, may I suggest to you that, uh, that, uh, that one of the first things he did in uh, being able to follow the Lord uh, can be found in uh, Numbers chapter 13 where when everybody was speaking, it says, Joshua and Caleb quieten everybody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you where it's from. It was in, uh, it's in verse 30 of Numbers chapter 13. It says, you know, when they were saying, verse 29, then Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they all dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Basically, we're talking about these very powerful people. The Hittites were, the, were, 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 were soon to become the, the dominant kingdom in Anatolia. Uh, but, but it says in verse 13, 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go at once. May I suggest to you that actually part of following the Lord holy is to actually be able to quieten our heart. To quiet our heart. And actually the word um, hasa, hasa is kind of an onomatopoeia. It sounds like it. He's like saying, hush, hush. What he was saying is this, hasa, hasa. I think for all of us, we are barraged by noises and sounds and alarms. And, uh, and, and every kind of majority opinion uh, that, 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 that has a way of pressing in or even pressuring us. And what we have to do is we will say, Hasa to all of that. To quieten everything. The ability for us in these days uh, of wilderness to be able to quieten the heart, to bring the heart to silence. Not fill it up with a lot of positive noises or rah-rah noises or, 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 or arguments or, or, kind of a, or, or, or kind of human thought is to actually come to the presence of God in such a way that we wait upon Him until silence comes. It means sometimes for us just not talking. I realize we are in a, in a, in a society that wants to be heard in which the make your voice heard is the, is, the, is the mantra we hear all the time. Make your voice heard. Make your voice heard. I understand that. I understand that. But for the things that are really precious of God to be able to have something worth saying, you have to come into the silence so that out of the silence, God drops His word in us. Or else we are going to say the same thing as everybody else is saying. Most things that I hear from people in, the, in, 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 in Christian circles, it's just not, not anything different. It's just what everybody else is saying. But to be able to have a word in season, that word exists only in the silence of God. 
only in the silence of God. I don't mean when silence just being no, no words, but when every other word has been overcome by the Spirit. And this is how we do it. We pray in the Lord. We worship Him so that all our agendas are just put aside. And we do this a lot in daily prayer. We begin by worshipping and praising God so that even though we have many concerns in our heart, we worship God and offer a sacrifice of praise so much so that these concerns don't drive us, don't drive our prayer. But we come to this place, this very special place in the wilderness where in the silence is God's presence. And there he begins to, to form a word in us. And sometimes the word has no words, no English and, and translatable words, but it's just a sense, a knowing that begins to happen. And that knowing and that, um, that, that sense of something being unmistakable begins to happen. You and I are called in the wilderness to come to that place where you can recognize that knowing. Until you have that, you experience that conviction, it's just thought against thought. And so the silence, the quieting, the hasa, that God by His Spirit, He quietens our heart, is very important so that, you know, like the psalmist says, I'm like a weaned child. Now, if it's worth it to you, you will take all the time that you need. I can't tell you it's going to do... It'll happen in 15 minutes. I can't tell you that it's going to happen in an hour. I can only tell you that it will happen. And if you desire it enough, you will wait until it happens. You may have to break up your weight because you have to work and you have to take care of things, but you can always come back to it. I can't tell you what the price of that silence is. All I can tell you is that when the Lord drops his minority report in you, it will be stronger than all the millions of majority reports that you can, you can come up against. Silence, hasa. Caleb learned the secret of quieting, quieting his environment. And I want to invite you and you and our church and all of us to actually enter into this, you have to pay the price. You have to pay the price. I am full of appreciation for those who, for the past nine months, have joined us and they pay the price. They come to a point in which, after praying most days in the week, then we come to the weekend, they still want to pray. Something has happened to them that has transformed them from the inside. It makes them not be able to stop praying. Until you come to that place in which you, 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 you can't stop praying and you enjoy it so much, you are still standing a little bit on the outside. I don't mean that your prayer is invalid, but you are still standing a little bit on the outside. You have to choose whether you want to go. There is a way in which you can be habituated into the presence of God to such an extent that that's your life. You're drinking water. You're drinking and you're drinking at the fount of living water and you cannot stop. You cannot stop. There are always people who are going to come and they say, oh, shall I come today or not? Shall I not come today or not? You haven't, you haven't entered into it. You haven't been baptized into prayer yet. You haven't been baptized into the silence of God where he, at a certain point, for especially I've seen this in those who are, who are joining us for prayer, they, the, 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 the sense of God is just right there on the surface. They're not digging deep for it. They're just, it's there. It's almost as if 
the 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 environment the thought environment their lavav okay the 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 heart the imagination is has somehow been filled with a different thought form you know and so that's something that i i want to to to, to leave with you there was um there is a way in which because of that i would put it to you that in that whole time 45 years in uh, the wilderness Caleb was getting younger. He was experiencing something of heaven causing him to even be physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically renewed through 45 years of wilderness. In fact, he had 45 years worth of super-duper renewal that was energizing him that was inspiring him, that was making him like a, like a tiger. It was making him stronger and stronger and stronger. It seems like, from Joshua chapter 14, he was even getting physically stronger. I don't know. But what I know is this, there was something of the supernatural life of God that was in him that was having increased. Now this is something that is very important because you can see a dynamic even among Christians, do you know Christians who are really old but who are, who are really young in their spirit? Do you know the youngest person in our church? It's a woman by the name of Mona. She's the youngest person because she has had a lot of time to get young. All those of you who are teenagers and 20 years, you haven't had that much time to get young. So your, your youngness is not that much. For me, I think I have had a bit more time, 63 years it's taken me a while, but, you know, I have more youngness than someone who's 20. No, I'm very tired. In fact, I'm going to have my, uh, my, 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 my sabbatical soon. But in the midst of that, God has given me time to renew my spirit. Yeah? In the wilderness, that is the opportunity that God has. Mona, you've seen Mona? She can remember things that I cannot remember. She is younger. She has had plenty of time to be younger. Some of us are growing old fast, but in their spirit, in their spirit. And that's what happened with these children of Israel in the wilderness. They died. They grew old fast and died. They grew old fast and died. So I want to put it to you that actually God wants us to grow younger. And um, I'm going to read a, a, a little bit from Psalm 92. It's been encouraging me as I, I think of time. I think about time a lot. I think about aging a lot. I think about all these things at this, at this time. But it says here in Psalm 92, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. Woo they are ever full of sap, very sappy and green, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is amazing. That is how I that, that's how I intend to live my life. And this is how all those, whether you're young or old, you want to live the life, in which you are experiencing daily in the wilderness the renewal. And that, that's how what happens is that God begins to renew us. Yeah, renew us. Uh, some of you may be familiar with uh, uh, Yeats. 
uh, in his poem, The Sailing to Byzantium, he says, an aged man is but a paltry thing, a tattered coat upon a stick, unless it clap its hands and sing, and louder sing for every tatter in his dress. Do not live for the tattered coat. The, the, the Bible tells us that that coat, this body of sin, has been crucified. Do not live for that. Yeats is talking about, see, Yeats, I don't believe he was a Christian in the full sense of it, but, you know, poets have this little, in, this insight, right? Insight into something beyond, and they love, they would love to actually know more about it. And he says, you know, an aged man is, is like, a, like a coat upon a stick, that is our life. The life that you're trying to, 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 to fix and, and, and renew is it's just a coat upon a stick. It's tattered even. And if you live for this tattered thing, the more and more you live for that thing, your life will be diminished more and more and more. You look at the, the pictures of movie stars who looked so wonderful in their, in their heyday. And today they don't look the same. I don't want to say anything about that, but uh, too much about that. But I, I'm telling you, our life is like a, 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 a tattered coat upon a string. Except, unless... The Spirit of God allows us to sing to Him and clap and, and, and begin to, to, to set our hearts towards Him, set our heart towards Him. You see, what you don't want to be is a Christian who uses the grace of God to give you the life that you want. You have to let it go. You have to let it go. You have to let the tattered coat go. Christianity is not using all the Bible verses and all the graces that God gives you to give you the life you want. No, Christianity starts with you die, dying and giving up that life. Turn with me please to um, uh, Romans chapter 6. And uh, it may come as a surprise to some of us who have been Christians for a while. But Romans chapter 6 tells us of the true condition of our life. It's not a life in which we take the Bible and use all the Bible goodies to sort of give us the life that we want. No, that life was crucified. In chapter 6 of Romans it says, in verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So if you are a baptized Christian or you're a Christian, you be, the first thing about your life when you become a Christian is you were baptized into his death. That means you died. Past tense. Past tense, you died. You were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, verse 4, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk, may, might walk in newness of life. There is no way you can walk in newness of life except through death. You see, because God doesn't mix the new life with the old life. The de definition of a Christian is not a person who has imbibed Christian values so that he can live the old life in a Christian way. That is not Christianity. Christianity starts with something much more radical. It doesn't, it, it doesn't start with healing. It doesn't start with healing the old life. It doesn't st start with healing our, our memories. It starts with being killed, being crucified. It says, when you, when you became a Christian, you were baptized into his death. That means you died. That means two things. Number one, you don't have any life of your own. You don't use Christianity to, give your, to, 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 to support the life that you want for yourself. Your that life is, is the life that has been crucified with Christ. It, has, it died. And only because of that 
that we actually have new life because the two lives don't mix. Don't mix. I said before, it's just like many Christians, they live there, they're dragging their old life around and of course it stinks and they put perfume on it or they put lipstick on it just to make sure that the old life, like the tattered coat, will continue to survive. And then at the end of their life, it's diminished. It's such a diminished life. Actually, what God has says is this, you've got to cut it off. You are, you, it has actually been cut off by God. Um, Romans chapter, chapter 6 tells us, verse 5, If we have been united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Like his. Verse 6, We know that our old self was, not should be, but was crucified with Him in, that, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You see, this is something that was done for us. You can't kill yourself. You can't mortify yourself. You can't kind of, some people as Christians say, I've got to carry my cross. I've got to carry my cross and that's my cross to bear. That's nonsense. That's not, that's not a scriptural thing. The Bible says that we have been crucified with Christ. That means the power of that old life, the life of sin, has been broken. You still feel the habit of it. You still feel the presence of it. You still feel the history of it. But its power has been broken. It will not determine your life. It's, it's almost as if the chain of your history and your, and your past has been broken. You still feel the weight of the chain upon it, but you can fling it across. That's why Isaiah 52 says, um, put on your strength, shake the dust of all, all your feet, take the chains off, because it's there. You do feel the old, old life. You do feel uh, 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 impure desires. You do feel all these things. But their power has been killed. It's been destroyed. That's why what Jesus did was He destroyed the power of the devil, of sin, of our addiction, of our past upon us. So much so, you don't have to go back to your past to try to heal it. That is where many Christians go wrong, you see. Because the Christians enter into this sort of worldly kind of way in which they say, I now hope that Jesus will now go back into my past and heal that past. There is some truth in that, but not in a primary way. What, what's happening is this. When Christ died, He said, you were taken up into my death and the power of that died with me. You don't have to go back and try to make things right. There may be certain things that God may direct you to, but if that's not for salvation, that's not for your new life. Your new life is here now. And your old life, that life of sin, that cannot ha- does not have the capacity to live at God's highest, has already been killed. Wow! Can I hear you just shouting and standing on top of your chair and rejoicing? We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You see, if it wasn't crucified, you're still struggling with the old body of sin. You're still struggling. You had to be brought to nothing. It had to be brought to zero in order for us to experience this life, in order for us, in the midst of our tattered coat, to find that there is a light and a renewal that was happening. The coat's, the coat's tattering, but the life that's inside is being renewed because inside that coat is not the old body that was, was subject to death, but it's a new body that was happening. That old coat is going to die. It's going to die. One of, the, one of these days, you're not going to be pretty anymore or handsome anymore or buffed, or buffed anymore. It's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> Sorry. I hope you don't, I hope, I hope you don't mind, mind, mind saying it. 
Because I, 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 I know it. <laughs> no, we that has the sin, the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Oh, that's an amazing thing. You see, you can't have these two bodies together. You cannot have one body of sin that's trying to use the grace of God to get what this body of sin wants. You can't. You can't do that. But what God does is this. He makes us new. And he, crucified, he has crucified us. We are not saying, you must now crucify yourself. No, you agree and reckon to yourself, I am dead. I have no agenda, but God is giving me an agenda and I feel him speaking to me every day to build up that agenda in my life. And so, in the, in the wilderness, Caleb was experiencing in a measure. You see, in the Old Testament saints, they didn't experience it in the same way as we do now because the Holy Spirit had not been given. But they had this, it was, a, was a, an intimation of it, a, a shadow of it. But today, God has given to us His Spirit so much so that you can let go of the old life. You don't have to fix it anymore. Praise God. Isn't that amazing? And He has given us of His, of his righteousness. Praise God. You know, before I close, I just want to give you a, a little bit of homework, okay? Christmas is coming. I suggest that for our Christmas activity, we do one thing. We can make a little lantern or a little decoration, or, a, uh, or a, something for the Christmas tree. And we are, as a church, going to be coming in some way to do some kind of church-together kind of uh, activity. I don't know, I don't know what's, what's going to be happening with the new, the new um, uh, ordinances that are going on. We'll see. But I, would it, it would be really interesting if you and I Think about doing a, an ornament that has a, a kind of a light inside it. You know, you can do those things that have little batteries and all that. And you make an ornament around that that will show the light. Don't de- decorate the ornament so that the ornament becomes the thing itself because that's not what we're about. But we want to be an ornament, a decoration, a lantern, in which we can best cause the light to come through. So the idea is, how can we do an ornament that is in line with the light, in keeping with the light, so that the light shines through, but does not draw attention so much to the ornament as a different thing itself. And so sometimes it's good for us to think about the fact that the Holy Spirit has given us our own personalities, given us our own ornamentation, that are in line with Him. Not just to draw attention to ourselves, but to reflect it. Can you think of things that can be uh, reflective of that reality? That there's a light, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine through an appropriate lantern or a decoration. And maybe we can come together or bring it all together and share each of us with our individual lanterns or, 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 or decorations with light shining through in a way that is appropriate to the light that's in you. Amen? Let us pray. Bless your name, Lord. This is the time when we begin to receive 
from him the real substance of what we've been talking about. Not just hearing about it, but there will be a time for us to soak in and to receive the actuality that we've been talking about. Up to now, everything has been talk. But there needs to be a time in which we interact with God so that we can receive and eat the bread of life, the actual thing that we've been talking about. Let us pray. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. We just love to say it again, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too do we walk in newness of life. So we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for taking us up with you into heavenly places that we are actually talking to right now from heavenly places. Though our feet are here on earth with our tattered coats, our spirits are already moving with you in heavenly places. So we say good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. We are excited about what we're learning right now about how to rule and reign with you. And Lord Jesus, would you do the cleansing on us right now to make us see more and more the light around us from you and shine it out more and more. We want to say right now, we are your temple. We are your temple. Would you just allow us to be filled with nothing other than you? Cleanse your temple right now in us. Cleanse us, God from every other desire that is lesser. Cleanse us right now from things we've seen, things we've done. We praise you right now. Yes, Thank Lord. you. Amen, Lord. We welcome you, Lord. Break thou the bread of life, says the hymn, though your Lord to me, as thou did break the loaves beside the sea, beyond the sacred page, I see thee, Lord. My spirit longs for thee. O living word, Lord, we welcome you, even now, into our lives. Some of our lives feel like they've been full of regrets and full of wasted time. Some of us feel that they've been so victimized by an environment that's not the best, that's that's hopeless. And yet at the same time, we find ourselves right here now in your presence in the present time, looking to you and opening our hearts that you can make up for all that and make us new again. We pray for every person who has experienced regret and is worried about time and who's even bitter about how much time has been taken up by caring for others perhaps or living at the behest of other people's wills. We thank you that you are present even to those places and we surrender our lives to you. Come, O Lord. Come, O Lord. We exchange it for you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that whatever the case may be, our old life has been crucified with you, Lord. We accept that. Mm -hmm. We receive the death of the Lord Mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. We receive a death to our old life and all that the time has done to it. And we now, Lord, receive a new life, the life of you, Lord, to be lived for you. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. 
If you like prayer, feel free to uh, sign up for prayer. It's down uh, at the bottom of the screen. We will be going into a time of soaking, and the time of soaking is a time in which we can appropriate for, unto, for ourselves what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. All that we've been speaking about, Caleb and Joshua and all that, is something we can actually have. And if you give it time, you will yourself begin to be able to eat it and to be able to imbibe it and to receive it. And so this soaking time will be a wonderful time if you have the ability to just stay a bit longer and just go go to God and receive from Him. And there will be some space that will be given over to that. God Amen. bless you. And I, I just sense right now that especially for parents that feel that there's a lot of discouragement that they're hearing from even toddlers all the way up to teens or beyond, that there's something special for you right now, that you have a minority report that will change the situation for your children and that you can use it with the power of God. So please feel free to ask for prayer or stay in the soaking room. Amen. Amen.